0: I'm Hillary, I'm Emily, and, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we're talking about Pillow Talk, which is a 1959 rom-com starring Rock Hudson, Doris Day, Thelma Ritter, and Tony Randall. It's directed by Michael Gordon, produced by Ross Hunter, and written by Stanley Shapiro and Morris Richlin. And I definitely want to talk to you, Emily, more about how men write women characters. (laughs) We will get into that. (laughs) Very relevant for this movie. So, New York interior decorator Jan Morrow and Playboy slash composer Brad Allen share a party line. But Brad keeps it busy most of the time by flirting with his many girlfriends. The two of, of them have never met in real life, but they share a mutual dislike for each other, since Jan thinks that Brad hogs the phone line and keeps her from the her business calls that she needs to make, and Brad thinks that Jan needs to lighten up and get a better sex life. Jan, <laughs> Jan meanwhile, is being wooed by one of her clients, a very rich man named Jonathan Forbes, who uh, coincidentally is Brad's best friend. Brad happens to meet Jan, Jan by chance in a restaurant after she is... After, after she's sexually assaulted. assaulted <laughs> yeah, by a 21-year-old. But he is uh, struck by love at first sight and poses as a naive tourist from Texas named Rex Stetson to seduce her. And this is relatively easily done since Jan is delighted to meet such an honest and open guy. Jonathan, meanwhile, is jealous and hires a private eye to find out who his competition is. And when she discovers the truth, Jan is furious. Hello, talking, Suze? I don't know. Oh,
1: my gosh. Just hearing that plot recounted it is so, like, as I'm, as I'm sitting here listening to it, I'm like, mostly I was focused on, like, how terrible Brad's behavior was. But, like, Jonathan hired a private investigator because this girl who rejected him was dating someone
0: now. Uh, oh, yes. Like, all of the men, with the exception of the obstetrician, I would say, are close-minded, like, bananas people. <laughs> <laughs>
1: wow. Okay, so we have a lot to talk about for this. Do, do you have any trivia?
0: Yes. I do. I have a few pieces of trivia. So, Rock Hudson apparently turned down the movie three times because he believed the script to be too risque. Oh. It was apparently his first comedy that he was in, which one of the reasons why he turned it down was because it, it, like, messed with his, like, masculine image. It's also the film for which Doris Day earned her only Oscar nomination. So, there's that. It was... The first of three movies to showcase Doris Day, Rock Hudson, and Tony Randall all together. The other two movies were Lover Come Back, which was made in 1964, and Send Me No Flowers, which was made in 19... Oh, I'm sorry. Lover Come Back was made in 1961, and Send Me No Flowers was made in 1964. In the diner scene, when Jonathan slaps Jan because she's crying, there's a truck driver who punches him in the jaw. And there was, they apparently, like, practiced that a lot. And Tony Randall was, you know, worried that the actor playing the truck driver would actually punch him in the jaw. And there was, in fact, one take where, you know, he hauled off and misjudged the um distance and and did actually strike him and knock him unconscious is that
1: why the take they actually took looked so fake (laughs) probably it looks like his fist was nowhere near his face and you just heard a loud like sound effect whack
0: yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that could be why so at one point in the movie doris dave says that rock hudson's character is six foot six inches tall He was really only six foot four, but apparently adding to his height was like a trick they did to make the shorter actors uh, in the movie, Tony Randall and Nick Adams, who plays the 21 year old, it was to make them seem taller. They both were actually five eight.
1: Okay, that trick does not work. And this is why I'm going to say that, because he dwarfed both of them.
0: Yeah. Was... like
1: them saying he was 6'6 just made me think wow those guys are like tiny yeah so okay that did not work for me although he was believable to me as 6'6 I believed that
0: I mean like you could have said oh he's 7'8 or whatever I mean like I don't know like he's on film but you don't know how tall he is no you just knew that he was tall and yeah. that's it yeah um, and then the last piece of trivia I have is that one of the first scenes shot was actually one of the last scenes in the movie when Rock Hudson drags Doris Day out of bed and carries her st- through the streets of New York to his apartment in her pajamas and her bedclothes. And apparently they had to do this take many, many times and Rock Hudson's arms were tired. So they made a kind of a sling to hold her in so that it would evenly distribute her weight. Across his shoulders so that he wasn't struggling to carry her. Jeez,
1: so. I can't imagine. Well, I guess if you did that, take a large number of times, it wouldn't matter who you were carrying. You would get tired.
0: Yeah, ninety-eight pounds is a lot. I don't know if that's how much he weighed, but. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So that's all I have to say about the trivia of this movie, of this trivial m- movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh who did you bio?
1: I bioed Rock Hudson. This is our first Rock Hudson movie, surprisingly. And honestly, I have not seen him in that much, but I did think he was good in this. So Rock Hudson was born Roy Harold Sherrard Jr. in 1925 in Winnetka, Illinois. Oh yeah. Uh, During the Great Depression, his father lost his job and abandoned the family. And his parents divorced when he was four years old, and a few years later, his mother married while Fitzgerald whom young Roy despised and his stepfather adopted him and he was forced to change his name to Roy Fitzgerald. As a teenager he worked as an usher in a movie theater and developed an interest in acting from that gig and he tried out for the school plays but always <laughs> failed because he couldn't remember his lines which was apparently a problem that continued through his early acting career. Huh. Um, He graduated from high school in 1943 and the following year enlisted in the U.S. Navy during World War II. And when he returned from the war, he moved to Los Angeles to live with his biological father and pursue acting. Initially, he worked odd jobs, including as a truck driver. He applied to the University of Southern California's Dramatics Program but was rejected because his grades weren't good enough. (laughs) And he sent talent scout Henry Wilson a picture of himself in 1947, and Wilson took him on as a client and changed his name. Apparently, he admitted later in life that he hated that his new name. <laughs> I guess that was the theme of his life. He hated his name and did not have control over it. Yeah. Um, it was coined by combining the Rock of Gibraltar and the Hudson River. Okay. So, just random. Hudson made his acting debut with a small part in the Warner Brothers film Fighter Squadron in 1948, and it took 38 takes to get him to successfully deliver his only line. Wow. Yeah. So this this, this reminded me of the whole thing with Marilyn Monroe and Some Like It Hot. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how could it take that many? But maybe he was nervous. I don't know. <laughs> Despite that, in 1949, he was signed to a long-term contract by Universal International who gave him acting coaching and promoted him for his good looks. Uh, He ended up becoming one of the most popular movie stars of his time and his screen career spanned four decades. He was a prominent heartthrob of the golden age of Hollywood and achieved stardom with his role in Magnificent Obsession in 1954, followed by All That Heaven Allows in 1955, which is one I've actually been wanting to watch, Yeah. Um, and Giant in 1956, for which he received a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Actor. Uh, He also found continued success with a string of romantic comedies co-starring Doris Day, including this movie, *Pillow*. Talk in 1959, Lover Come Back in 1961, and Send Me No Flowers in 64. During the late 1960s, his films included Seconds, Tobruk, and Ice Station Zebra. As he got older, he was unhappy with the film scripts he was offered, so he turned to television and then was successful there, starring in the popular mystery series Macmillan and Wife from 1971 oh, yeah. to 77. And his last role was as a guest star on the fifth season of the primetime ABC soap opera Dynasty, which he was working up until pretty close to his death in that role. Um, in his personal life, it was an open secret in Hollywood that Hudson was gay, but his publicist kept it out of the press. And I read that the story is that he even like leaked information about other clients to prevent stories from appearing about Hudson wow yeah in 1955 hudson married his agent's secretary phyllis gates and they stayed together for three years before divorcing after that he never remarried he was linked romantically with the novelist armistead maupin his publicist tom clark and the actor mark christian among others unknown to the public hudson was diagnosed with hiv on june 5th 1984 just three years after the emergence of the first cluster of symptomatic patients Mm -hmm. in the U.S., and only one year after the initial identification by scientists of the HIV virus. He became very ill, and on July 25, 1985, his French publicist confirmed that Hudson did, in fact, have AIDS. Mm. He was among the first mainstream celebrities to have been diagnosed with the disease, And when he went public, it drew attention to the epidemic and gave it a face and helped raise millions to research a cure. Hudson said in a telegram for a fundraiser, he was too sick to attend. I'm not happy that I'm sick. I'm not happy that I have AIDS, but if that is helping others, I can at least know that my own misfortune has had some positive worth. Hmm. At 9 a.m. on the morning of October 2nd, 1985, he died in his sleep from AIDS-related complications at his home in Beverly Crest at age 59.
0: Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize he was that young.
1: I know. And he he kept working, too, as long as he could, but um, I also read that he, had, he appeared in promotion for Doris Day's, one of her new tv shows
0: oh yeah uh-huh.
1: like just as like a favor and uh-huh. he appeared so gaunt and uh-huh. sick that it became like a national news story and this was before he went public that yeah he had the illness
0: I actually, I forget why I, I came across that story recently, too, but I looked it up to and looked to see what he looked like, and he was totally unrecognizable to me. He didn't look like our cousin at all.
1: Yeah, and they said that he was fairly incoherent, too, and they just had to, like, play music over footage of them kind of walking around. Oh, wow. That's so sad. It sounds like yeah. a sad lot. Ble- I mean, he was very successful, and his career, but, like, his personal life seemed pretty tragic. Yeah. Yeah, it was... After watching this movie, and then, like, it's such a stark contrast to this bio that I was like, ugh. It definitely made me think about some of the stuff in the movie in a different way.
0: <laughs> you mean, like, the line where Rock um Brad Allen is trying to convince Jan that perhaps... Rex Stetson isn't just being polite, he might be gay. Yeah.
1: Morning. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible and then yeah, he said something earlier too about like if he's not making a move on you, he you know basically implying he's probably gay.
0: Yeah.
1: So, great, great message.
0: Such a great message. <laughs>
1: um, well, let's talk broad strokes. What what did you think? um is this your first time seeing this is this your first time seeing a doris day rock hudson
0: i think that i probably had seen this movie before but i didn't have any memory of it and what i remembered most was the like split screen thing that happened multiple times in this movie which i think is one of the things that this movie is made for that or is known for that that technology of like splitting the screen which I guess is adorable. <laughs> there were multiple times in this movie where I was like, like, not only does this movie not pass the Bechdel test, but like, uh, like, does such a terrible portrayal of women. And, like, it's an inverse, experience. yeah. <laughs> of the test. Yeah, and that, like, I don't know, like, there, are, like, you know, the scenes where, like, you know, Jan would, like, you know, with the twenty-one-year-old. She, you know, is at a party for one of her clients, and her the client's son comes in, and he's identified as being a 21-year-old, like, Harvard student or something. You know, and Doris Day is 37. I looked her up. She was 37 when she made this movie. You know, so they, like, get in the car to drive home, and this 21-year-old, like, pulls off on the side of the road and, like, assaults her. And no matter how many times she says no, he, like, doesn't back off and is, like, calling her, like, basically seven different versions of, like, Frigid. And, you know, and then, you know, she finally is like, well, you know, I'll go have a drink with you. And he, like, backs off and, like, drives, you know, to this party, which is where... Not party, a uh, restaurant where Brad runs into her. I don't know, just like watching that scene, I was like, nothing about this is funny. <laughs> like, yeah, it was play for
1: laughs, and it was, it was upsetting.
0: Yeah, and there were a number of scenes like that in this movie where I was like, this isn't funny, this is wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it wasn't like he made a pass at her and she was just like, no. It was like he was physically overpowering her for an extended period of time. And she kept saying, "Like, no, get off of me! No, get off of me!" I don't... uh yeah. And I kept thinking, like, this kid is a Harvard student. Like, she's older than him, and yeah, like and- has some, some probably like confidence in saying no. But i was like, what is he doing at Harvard to like the other students? Like, oh God, yeah. It was it. It actually made me think a lot of Brett Kavanaugh being like, "I like beer,
0: so what."
1: <laughs> Yeah. Fear's great. Like.
0: How about try not assaulting women?
1: (laughs) Yeah. That could be like step one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And like, I mean, I feel like there were like other notes that I made. Brad insinuating at the beginning that like she's like mad at him for uh, tying up the line because she has bedroom problems. I'm like, you don't even know her. Yeah.
1: I think I I wrote, a woman has a complaint, so she must be frigid and hysterical.
0: (laughs) That is, like, that's this movie in a nutshell. Um.
1: But the thing is, like, the movie, basically, the viewpoint of the movie, as far as I could tell, is that basically, he was right in that assumption. You know what I mean? Like, she, you know, she did, like, basically turn to mush when she fell in love with a guy, and then like, no longer had an issue with him or anything. It was kind of...
0: Yeah, she needed, like, a romantic distraction. Like, her work wasn't enough of a distraction. For me, the one saving, not Grace, but like, one good thing about this movie was when Brad decides that he's, like, he's gonna try and get on her like at the end he's gonna get on her good side by like like talking to her maid which i spent three quarters of this movie wondering who Alma was because she apparently <laughs> comes every day hung over that's
1: what i thought too i was like jan lives alone And is out most of the day. Why does she need a maid who comes every day? Yeah. I don't understand.
0: I don't understand. That she comes hungover (laughs) every day and to the point that she, like, automatically, like, gets, like, tomato juice out for her. But I love that, like, Brad's big plan is that he's gonna, like, like get her drunk and get her tipsy and, like, you know, try and get her on the good side. And then instead Alma drinks him under the table. (laughs) 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 And it's like, gotta get up pretty early in the morning to outdrink uh, Alma. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: so I should probably just say I I did not hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I found redeeming things about it. It was just I think I mean also same time period as the apartment. I just think this is definitely one of the absolute most sexist movies we've watched for the yeah. podcast. Like, hands down. So that part was extremely grating. But there were a lot of good things about it, too. Like, I liked the split-screen technology. Mm-hmm. I thought the pacing of the movie was really good. Like, it moved along quickly and yeah. kind of had, like, yeah. a fun tone that, like, it never dragged. And um, Doris Day is great in everything. I just really like her. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also the costumes were great and the sets were great.
0: yeah. When I at at some point in this movie, I started paying attention to the costumes because I was like, Emily, it's gonna be all over this. She's gonna love all these outfits, especially that Doris Day is wearing. She's oh one. yeah, that like
1: <laughs> cream colored sweater dress <laughs> and the yeah. red velvet and mm-hmm. yeah, and the costume designer got pretty high billing in the credits. I don't know if you oh I didn't noticed notice that, that. No. but they gave like a special like feature to her, so it must have been like a well-known person yeah Um, and i did think they had good chemistry too
0: yeah they did the other thing i like i did like about this movie was the whole trope of being able to hear the thoughts periodically they like would show what she was thinking and what he was thinking yeah. And I thought that was really effectively done so you could see and it, I think it helped like move the plot along so you like the audience automatically saw that like there's different levels of things going on here.
1: Well, did you find it hard to believe? Like you so when you were giving the synopsis you said he was supposed to just like fall in love with her. And yeah. when, when I was watching it that that wasn't really apparent to me. I just thought like basically in that scene he kind of zooms in on her butt and is like, "Oh, I have to get with this." lady, now that I know she's hot.
0: Like, to me, um, I I was like, oh, he realized that this woman wasn't just some, like, frigid lady, you know, on the other end of the phone. She was, like, dropped it gorgeous, and so he, like, needed to get with her. Yeah, so... So, like,
1: his position through all of this, I thought was like, completely indefensible. Like, he lied about who he was for an extended period of time, for basically their entire relationship. And even if he could say, oh, I was just doing that because you wouldn't give me a chance if you knew who I was, he was simultaneously messing with her over the phone just to be mean.
0: Well, was he doing it just to be mean, or was he trying, like, doing it to sort of, like, help his own case? I couldn't decide whether it was he would be, like, saying the things that he was saying as Brad... To mess with her, or whether she, he was saying it to, like, sort of... Because he knew that he could give her, like, an impression to, like, you know, like, make her doubt Rex's intentions, and then swoop in and, like, prove that he was, like, a nice guy, and wasn't just out to, like, make love to her, you know? But
1: they were the same person. <laughs> no, I know.
0: Like, I'm not saying it's logical, but he <laughs> he was, like, using the fact that, like, he, he knew that he was two different... Pe- he was the same person to be, like plant the seed in in her mind that like oh he's only gonna invite her up to his apartment or whatever to like put the moves on her and then like here you know and so she's like distrustful of you know Rex and then like you know it turns out Rex like just is getting his coat he's not trying to put the moves on her and then her response is like oh he's so honest and naive and sweet He's not trying to sexually assault me like the 21-year-old.
1: Um, yeah, because everyone should get a gold star for just not for not sexually, sexually assaulting. Well, all, his character of Rex didn't even make sense to me because I'm like, all right, you're supposed to be this, like, rancher from the boonies who somehow, like, dresses fabulously and knows how to dance at these, like, cocktail bars but knows nothing about anything and is like look at all these tall buildings and like what? that that part did not make sense to me
0: no i mean it totally makes yeah and then suddenly he was like oh i have to leave and go like go out to this you know house in connecticut which like is the theme of our podcasts this season like having a house in connecticut is that
1: <laughs> i think it is <laughs> i think that's been the past what like 3 or 4 movies yes. we've Yeah, and she's just like, okay, I'll go with you. But the whole basis of her relationship with him was supposed to be this person he was playing. And other than that, like, the only thing that was consistent with the other real person of Brad was just his looks, basically. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, he's a good-looking guy, but... (laughs) I just didn't know if it would carry over, like, I kind of was thinking they were going to do a shop around the corner type of thing, where, uh like, she ended up kind of falling for him over the phone, and didn't like the character guy as much, but they didn't do that, and in the end, she was just like, yes, I do want to marry you and have babies, and like... That was the resolution, basically.
0: Yeah, the resolution is that she actually was in love with him the whole time, no matter who he was. Yeah. I did
1: like how she hate-decorated in his apartment, though. That was I mean, pretty funny.
0: Yeah, that was, like, next-level goals. She's like, yeah, I can see what you are trying to do, and I am not, like, falling for it, and I'm gonna use my professional, like, connections and, yeah, hate-decorate your apartment.
1: <laughs> they, I mean, she did make it look pretty terrible.
0: Yeah, oh, he 100% deserve that
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> what
1: did you think about how he had a seduction button that he would press in his apartment i was like of course he does <laughs> it was like pretty co- like i was like i'm impressed that you could rig this up in that time <laughs> period yeah where,
0: like
1: the lights go out and then the record player turns on and puts on a record and something else happened to the door him. locks
0: which i oh. was like Is that to keep her in, or is it to keep, like, intruders out?
1: That's, like, the Matt Lauer button.
0: Yeah. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's hard watching this movie in the post-Me Too era and not finding everything terrible, basically, in the whole thing. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, like, even Jonathan, who is, like, relatively innocuous, he's still, like, trying to buy Jan's affection with, like, cars and, you know, all, all kinds of things. And she's just, you know, like... It's like, I don't love you, you know, but you can kiss me and blah, blah, blah. And and then he calls a private investigator to investigate the guy. So trust. yeah. Who, who needs it?
1: <laughs> you would think, like, if you're a decent person and someone says they're not really interested, then you would kind of back off. And and that was the other thing that bothered me about Brad, that he cared not at all that his best friend was, like, very interested in <laughs> her. Yeah. And oh, yeah, he, he didn't care at all he seemed to take delight in the fact that he was
0: stealing her away okay. so i forgot about that element that his like best friend he, he knew the whole time that his best friend was into this girl oh and
1: care. how about how even in her apartment building the front desk clerk was like oh yeah i'll tell you where her her exact location right now here's the address
0: perfect stranger. Yeah. It
1: was all, all a bit troubling.
0: Well, and how about, like, speaking of in her apartment building, like, she's being carried out of her, like, into an elevator and she says to the elevator operator, help me. And he just, like, stands blithely by while this guy, yeah. like, carries her out. I'm like, how many ways does a woman have to say no or, like, let me go or, like, stop what you're doing before someone pays attention.
1: I think that is often the case, too, that, like, guys will just kind of stand by and be like, I don't want to get involved. Not yeah. my issue.
0: Unless you make the girl cry in, and then I'm going to punch the man.
1: Yeah. How about how Jonathan was like, oh, you just discovered there's an elaborate subterfuge of the relationship you thought you were in. You've cried too long about this, so now I'm gonna slap you. <laughs> yeah,
0: you've cried for sixty miles, so now I'm gonna slap you.
1: You're yeah. you're right that there were pretty much no redeeming men in this movie.
0: <laughs> no, but the the uh, obstetrician kind of was like I don't know. I mean, I think it was probably p- played for laughs, but like the whole like misunderstanding, Brad Allen, like hides out, he, like, rushes to hide in, you know, the nearest office when he sees Jan in, um, Jonathan's office, and the nearest office happens to be an obstetrician's office, but she doesn't realize, he just thinks it's a regular doctor's office, so he, like, tries to make an appointment with the doctor, and the nurse is like, for your wife? You know, he's like, no, I'm not feeling well. He, like, runs out again, and then, like, the later the nurse encounters him coming out of the ladies' room, which he's, like, followed Jan in, and She's like, oh, you know, I gotta tell the doctor about this. And the doctor is like, this could be the first man walking around pregnant. And, you know, this is something that science needs to know about. And it was played for laughs, but I also was like, yeah, I mean, I appreciate that you're like, you're not prejudiced about this. You're just like, we need to, like, I want to be the doctor that treats the the first pregnant man or whatever. It's
1: yeah, like- he, it was like a very scientific viewpoint like i'm just curious about this and want to learn more
0: yeah we're not gonna let this guy like go to some other doctor like i want to be the doctor
1: all right so we got one we got one potentially
0: yeah one potentially i think is a fair way to put it i've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long
1: while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again i don't even know if we need to talk back to all no because it's just it's just gonna be a big no
0: I mean, there, I mean, she does talk to, um, you know, like, the secretary in her office and Alma, but I don't think that they, like, there's, like, the conversation with the the secretary is mostly, like, hey, buy these awful things. Yeah. Like, it's about a man. The conversations with Alma are kind of all about Brad, too, right?
1: Yeah, like, even when she tries to talk about her work, Alma's like, you need more in your life. You need a
0: man. <laughs> Don't we all?
1: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, this would be, this, this is like, I would say like negative 500 for (laughs) Bechdel.
0: Is this the least feminist movie we've seen? I don't know, but it's up there.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, it it feels like every time we watch movies from this particular Mm -hmm. era, it's the same. Totally. Yes.
0: We all want to help
1: one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, what about social justice? I don't know. It also seems like it doesn't have a lot happening in terms of social justice. No. I was even trying to think about, could there be something with the phone lines? Like, there's not enough phone lines to get <laughs> <No>. out.
0: <laughs> well, didn't but, they say at the beginning, like, she, like she, if she had an emergency, she could get a, a private line? And, like, yeah. one example of an emergency was if she were to get pregnant, and she was like, well, I'm not married. Yeah, I mean, I wonder... Like, I don't have a good sense of, like, who had a party line when and who had a private line and if there was, like, uh, like class distinction.
1: Yeah, and and having a, a small business that you need to run, that's not an emergency. But if you were pregnant... <laughs> yeah. That's
0: a good point. Pregnancy is an emergency. Small businesses, not.
1: Are you ready to rate?
0: I have one question for you before we, we rate. Okay. So... You know, like, a lot of, but not a lot, but, like, I, you know, I feel like An Affair to Remember got updated, and, you know, there's other movies that they've remade over time. Do you think it would be possible for them to remake them, Hollywood, to remake this movie in 2021? Like, if they were to do that, how would they do, like, how would they 21st Century vie the whole Party Line thing? Oh. Oh. Or is it a movie that, like, could not... Like, they, it couldn't exist in any form. Well, it is such a weird thing. Like, I even noticed when
1: I was doing research about the movie that they had to keep explaining for modern audiences what a party line is. Like, I had never heard of that before. Yeah. The only thing... The first thing that came to my mind is, like, what if you accidentally, like had the same cell phone number or something and uh people were contacting you but I don't know exactly how they would do that I mean I don't think they could make it with the exact same premises yeah no for sure but I'm trying to think of a scenario where they would kind of be thrown together and in each other's like personal business yeah I mean one thing the premise that they use a lot in like romantic comedies is like oh someone like they double booked the Airbnb and now we're forced to stay here together yeah or something like that
0: that would be one way
1: but it's not quite the same I would really hope that they would not make it with the same theme of like oh you have an issue with me therefore you're a prude and (laughs) we'll just have to fix that (laughs) I mean, that there was a period okay, you probably are going to get way more than you wanted as an answer to this question, but <laughs> I've watched a lot of romantic comedies. And there was a period of like many years where one of the main themes of them, and I want to say like, sort of like in the early 2000s, was that the woman was a workaholic. Oh um, An uptight workaholic yeah. who had no relationship and yes. then like some mm-hmm. schlubby guy would come along mm-hmm. and need to like, she, her life wasn't complete because she didn't have a relationship. She and didn't this have a
0: schlubby guy.
1: Doofus is going to come in and show her how to have a full and complete life. And it was always some like highly successful woman who they were like, but she
0: doesn't have at all. Yeah. Because she doesn't have a schlubby guy. That is genre that is very similar to this movie. Yeah, I mean I say this
1: also with love because I do enjoy romantic comedies, but
0: <laughs> And also Rock um, Hudson is not a schlubby guy. He is 6 foot no. 4 and objectively you sh- yes. Gorgeous.
1: <laughs> he, he actually one of the things I thought worked really well for this movie with the party line is that he has a very sexy voice. And I just thought, like, if they had gone that direction more of her kind of, like, falling for him on the phone, Mm -hmm. that it, that could have worked really well with just his voice, but they didn't really do that.
0: How about, this is also totally a tangent, but how about, you know, this idea that Doris Day's character is a good singer, but apparently can't read music well enough to, like, actually play the song Because, like, she, you know, the way that she discovers who he is is that she's, like, heard him, like, sing this same song to multiple girls. And, like, he happens to have a sheet music when they go to this house in Connecticut. And she picks it up and is, like, oh, I wonder what this is. And, like, picks it out, like, you know, with one finger um, on the piano. And I'm, like, ten minutes ago you were, like, sight reading some music that the, like, the restaurant lounge singer, like, handed to you. And now you're telling me ten minutes... (laughs) Like ten minutes later, and you can't, you you can't play p- uh, the piano two handed. Like, why is this taking so long?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point that she <laughs> that is inconsistent. I thought that too. I was like, she bangs out three notes on this piano, and suddenly, like, the whole thing is revealed to her. And
0: <laughs> yeah, but she doesn't. She like she bangs it out. She doesn't like sit down and, like two-handed and play it and be like oh i have heard this before
1: i think that it's just like any movie door stays and they're like we have to find an excuse for her to sing
0: whether it makes any logical sense at all
1: yeah that's true i will say that was like one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie where they were at that cocktail bar and the band is singing and then she sings and then the singer of the band is like in on the fact that he's lying and she starts singing the song about how he's a liar. liar
0: yes i know (laughs) That, actually, I looked that singer up. Her name is Perry Blackwell, and she is still alive.
1: She was great.
0: Yeah. I was like, more of her, please. I want a movie that's based on her.
1: Me too. Yeah, let's get a separate movie that's just her and her somehow singing friendship with Doris Day. Yeah.
0: None of this is social justice related.
1: (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) But all worthwhile.
0: Yeah.
1: I think a lot of what actually attracted me to this movie was more like how stylish everything was. And yeah. all of those clubs with like the live music and everybody knowing how to dance and like having so much fun. I would love to just be able to go to places like that.
0: Yeah. And how much of that is just, just that we're still in the middle of a pandemic and can't okay. go anywhere.
1: Yeah. Truth. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. But still, even if we weren't, I would still want to go to, like, some nice, like, fancy cocktail bar where, (laughs) like, amazing musicians play and we all get to dance. Yeah,
0: that's true.
1: Uh, Hillary, I think I'm going to go first on the rating because this is going to be questionable and I'm working up my courage.
0: Listen, I'm in it too deep with you now to just, uh, you know, toss you aside if you (laughs) give this a dumb rating.
1: So, I'm going to give it a three because as much as I hate, like, all the sexist stuff and and a lot of that content, I I think it's, like, a well-done movie. That's where I stand.
0: I, see, the thing about us is that, like, your three is, like, you know, brings differently than the three that I was going to give it, which is, you know, because you're usually very, um you know hard and i'm usually easy i mean i mostly give it a three because like it was they had really good chemistry and like walking away from this movie even though i was like are you kidding me (laughs) about all the sexism you know i was like oh actually i want to watch the other two tony randall doris doris day rock Hudson movies like i actually i would be down for that
1: yeah, I felt the same way. Like they're just they're compelling on screen. So yeah, so we're on the same page in a way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Hale. So what's our next movie?
0: Ooh, our next movie is another rom-com ish movie, Marty.
1: Yes, that's that's. I think we'll have a very different take on love. From
0: that <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yeah. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter, at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes
1: or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.